Manitoba's government has sold more public housing than it's created in the last seven years. An elderly man murdered his wife in an assisted living facility that has been plagued with issues since it opened in 2021. The Canadian government is coming for your favourite podcasts. Okay, not really. And a dengue outbreak in Bangladesh has killed more than 1,000 people. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. It's Election Day in Manitoba. And here are your headlines. As Manitobans head to the polls today, let's start in the heart of Canada. In the past seven years, the province of Manitoba has sold more social housing units than it has created. The report from CBC's Lauren Donnelly and Joanne Levassar has showed that where the province funded 287 new social housing rental units, It sold 374 social housing units for an overall loss of 87 units. The loss of units happened in 2018 when the province sold the building located at 185 Smith Street in Winnipeg to a private operator. Donnelly and Lavasa report that the province defines social housing as units that are rent geared to income. Units can either be rented for 30% of someone's gross household income or at shelter rates defined by the Employment and Income Assistance Program. Of the new units that were created, about two-thirds of them were actually initiated by the former NDP government. The reporters remind that the province did support other kinds of supportive housing, including 587 units that are affordable, quote-unquote. To be considered affordable, they need to be below market rent, though they are barely affordable, at least by my Quebec City eyes. Affordable ranges from $702 per month for a studio apartment to $1,324 per month for a three-bedroom apartment. The Progressive Conservative government cut the amount of money available for public housing repairs. Under the NDP, it was more than $74.6 million, and under the PCs, it was just over $42.3 million per year. Of course, funding public housing means funding its repairs so that it's in a good state and people like living there. Not having enough money to repair public housing drives it into disrepair. Now, if the NDP does win today, and polls indicate that they will, they will need to experience significant pressure to improve their public housing strategy. They, quote, did not commit to meeting the target of building over 3,000 new social housing units in the next five years, unquote. Rather, they just promised to build quote-unquote, more. And they're going to remove PST from new affordable housing builds. Sound familiar? Nor did the party answer when asked what target it was using to eliminate the waitlist to move into Manitoba housing. So make sure you vote today, and then make sure you're protesting Premier Wabkanu tomorrow. Or somehow, if it's still Heather Stephenson, protest her even harder. Next to shocking news in Quebec, an 81-year-old man has murdered a 79-year-old woman in Terrebonne. They were partners, and the murder happened in an assisted living facility called La Ressource de la Rondière. The man didn't live in the facility, and the woman who did live there had Alzheimer's. The man was taken to hospital, where he is in a stable, though unconscious, state. He hasn't yet been arrested because of being in this state, but investigators say that they've seen enough to consider a murder charge. The facility shares its space with a private retirement residence called Lettencel. It opened in 2021 and has 144 rooms, mostly for people who have neurodegenerative illness. 
But already the facility has been the subject of criticism. The province's ombudsman reported last spring that there are many things that have happened in the facility that have been reported to them. He found that the workers often slept during their shifts. One person fell and caught her foot in a piece of furniture and had to wait in that position until the next morning when staff finally checked in on her. And there have been many security issues identified. Emily Bilodeau and Mesa Ferraf with La Presse talked to family members of residents who said the facility badly lacked staff. Some doors are not magnetized and so people get out of their units and even go outside when it is dangerous for them to do so. And for the person they talked to, she didn't think her, her mother was being adequately watched even though she had a risk of choking on her own saliva. The third floor is where people with particularly difficult behavior live, and the journalists talked to people who said that police are regularly called there to, quote-unquote, contain clients. Next to news, that is the next thing that the far right is seizing on, and as a podcaster, I've been told I'm about to lose my freedom of speech. Which, uh, listen, there is barely freedom of speech in Canada, as there are so many ways other than direct censorship that marginalize speech. But anyway, here's the story. The CBC's Anis Hadari is reporting that online streamers and podcasters will be required to register with the CRTC, which some have spun into being an extreme overreach into the media. Okay, first the news and then I guess what I think about this. Any streaming and podcasting services with at least $10 million in revenue in Canada will need to register with the CRTC before November 28th. Which, that sentence is already different than the first sentence. I'm not sure if this includes streamers themselves who make at least $10 million or if it's just our platforms. And really, anyone making that kind of money is already likely very much registered with at least CRA. Registration will be as simple as giving the government information like address, phone number, email, and an explanation of the kind of service that it operates. You know, extremely standard stuff if you operate any kind of business already in Canada. Hidari spoke with Professor Michael Geist and celebrity podcaster Jesse Brown, who both said that they were concerned not so much about the requirements to register, but instead what its signals might be coming. Brown's comments make it sound like he isn't happy that these decisions are happening without hearing from the operators. The only example in the story is potentially Spotify, and as they say, it's tossed out as a possibility. Spotify testified at the CRTC saying that they want podcasts exempted from the new legislation because of the strain that we are all currently facing in the industry. And yes, folks, even Sandy and Nora has experienced this strain with a 40% drop in listens or so over the past two years. People's listening habits have changed. But I have to also say that it is extremely funny for Spotify to have any opinion on this at all. The company should actually shut the hell up because they make money off of you streaming this podcast. And I have never seen a dime from Spotify. Actually, I'll go smaller. I've never seen a penny from Spotify. So the company, as the example that probably makes $10 million in Canada, but we don't know, Um, yeah, they can register and they can actually start paying a lot more money to its creators. Like, honestly, my God, who's going to make them do that? It's going to be government. Now, not that I have any confidence in the liberal government to do anything, but to pretend that an unregulated internet media included is good is, uh, is, is madness. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm not sure if the platform that we at Sandy and Nora use, Acast, might net $10 million of sales in Canada. 
as they're also the platform that Canada Land, CBC Podcasts, True Crime, and other podcasts that are big names in Canada are posted on. So, like, that leaves us with maybe Acast, maybe Spotify. Like, sure, of course they should register. They're massive corporations and have their fingers in Canadian content. But this is surprising to Brown, who Heydari quotes as saying that originally they thought that only streaming platforms would be included in Bill C-11, which is trying to regulate the online streaming space. And so Brown is surprised to hear that podcasts might be included. But hey, later in the article, Brown says that Canada Land doesn't make $10 million. The article then pivots back to Michael Geist, who says that while this isn't an attack on free speech, regulating companies might be, quote, an incursion into expression, unquote, which... I don't know, man. I don't know. Like the the incursion on expression is Spotify stealing our content, frankly. And the CRTC is the public regulator that literally regulates our public airwaves. The internet is a new thing, though it is akin to the airwaves. And so I don't know. I feel like the internet could use a little more democracy and a little less of the corporate giants. But what do I know? I'm just literally one of the people impacted by this. And finally, to Bangladesh, a massive outbreak of dengue has infected more than 200,000 people and killed at least 1,017. 2023 is now the deadliest year since the first recorded epidemic of dengue in the year 2000, reports Al Jazeera. Most of the dead are adults. This number is nearly four times more deaths than in all of last year. Dengue is spread by mosquitoes and can move from person to person easily in densely populated areas. The WHO has warned that mosquito-borne viruses are spreading faster because of climate change. Normally, monsoon season is when hospitals would see a rise in dengue. That is June to September. But now, patients are coming in more often during the winter months, including people with repeat infections. People with repeat infections have a higher chance of complications. Dengue used to be isolated to the city of Dhaka, but in 2019, doctors say it transferred to rural areas too. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, October 3rd. As I say, get out and vote today if you are in Manitoba. You know, even if you're going to spell your ballot, like, it's worth it. Go and do it. Today is Sandy and Nora Day, so expect a new episode of the podcast to drop in a couple of hours. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.